Welcome back to Bourbon Before Breakfast. It's your host, B, and I'm back today with a special guest co-host, my dear friend, Vic. Hello, everyone. Hey, um, so today, this episode is going to be about uh, the effects of remote learning um, due to COVID, uh, kids that have been forced to become remote learners. Um, it aims to address the negative side of remote learning and the detrimental and long-lasting effects it can possibly have on children of all ages. Understandably, the horrors of COVID caused New York City schools to shut down. It is said that New York City has one of the largest school systems, so just imagine the magnitude and crippling effects this has had on families, staff, and especially uh, the, the students, the children. Children who were once told to limit TV time, computer time um, on the internet, tablets, and things alike, to put down devices and be more social, were now forced to complete all schoolwork and activities online. While some parents and students were happy and relieved, many others were upset and outraged as they struggled to adjust to going from being a working parent to both parent and teacher. So I guess that's the baseline we'll start with. Like, uh, I guess we could go from the beginning to where it first started and then just tunnel back forward. All right. Um, so last year, March, um, with the outbreak of the COVID-19 virus, um, the DOE made a decision to send students and staff home uh, to engage in remote learning. And what that looked like is uh, schools had a very limited time to plan uh, what that would look like. Uh, there was no training provided to staff who have never done this before at such a large scale. And then we were sent home. I mean, I'm not saying that in a way where it's blaming anyone for making that decision. The priority was public health. Yeah. Um, but what it did is uh, it sent everyone against staff and students home uh, without proper preparation to then completely transition to remote learning. Uh, while there were some students who did thrive in that type of setup, uh, maybe were more comfortable engaging in things on their own uh, outside of some of the uh, social conditions of being inside a school building with other people, uh, many of our students and staff uh, there, there was something lacking. Um, and the price that was paid were the students who could not demonstrate mastery in several of their subjects. Uh, and also, it, it took a toll on the, the quality of teaching in a lot of classrooms where you had teachers who are not familiar with the use of technology, not familiar with what to do if the student is not physically in front of them yeah. and didn't know how to adjust to this new reality. And it definitely um, lasted a lot longer than any of us thought it would. Yeah. Do you think that some teachers, uh, just as some students became more laxed and laid back um, because they were not under supervision? Do you think that, because I, I, because in my opinion, that some of the teachers had that same kind of like laid back, 
more uh, carefree kind of thing where they felt like because they weren't under supervision or at least I guess they thought they weren't because kids always tell, right? And um, my in my case in particular, I had one instance where my daughter had a teacher, um, an African teacher. He was of African descent and he was teaching the class one day and I guess the students were not really paying attention or maybe they were like, you know, smart mouthing, going back and forth with the teacher for a little while and the teacher's daughter came onto the screen and she started to tell the kids off about themselves like <laughs> one by one like you know you need to be quiet because you i hear you in the all the way back in the room and it was just like a whole like big thing because like all the kids were talking about some of the kids were laughing some of the kids started going back and forth with her and then it just becomes like a kind of circus because your your kid you know however old your daughter might be she might i think she was like an adult uh, maybe like you know, late 20s, she would never come into your classroom and address your students on your behalf. So I thought it was a little inappropriate, um, unprofessional. And some of the teachers, they just have a nonchalant attitude. They, they are really more mouthy with my high school daughter, at least. I've had, you know, three or four Zoom meetings about the way they talk to the kids and stuff. And some of them, they just don't want to be bothered. So do you feel like the, the teachers took a, a dial back as well as the students? Yeah, I mean, listen, uh, whether you're a student or a teacher, it doesn't matter what role you play, people are people. And whether you're a, a middle school student, high school student, or an employee of uh, a public school, um, you're you're gonna act the way that you do in in other parts of your life, whether it's in the context of school or or in your personal relationships. And if you're the type of person that uh, will become lax when you're not being supervised, that's gonna be true uh, regardless of your role. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's a funny story. Um, what that makes me think of is, uh, for me at least, I know that when I'm at home. I'm, I'm in a very different mode than when I'm at work. Yeah. And, you know, I, I can speak for myself definitely, but I'm, I'm sure other people can relate. When you leave the house and begin to transition to going to your job and you walk through the doors of your job, you, you may become a different person. Yeah. Um, with this particular setup, you know, a lot of times you're rolling out of bed and then it's time to work. <laughs> Some people might still be You, you may not have even brushed your teeth yeah. and you're, you know, engaging with, with classes. And um, some people are working from bed. Some people are working from And some teachers have their kids at home as well. Right. That they're trying to get situated and then they're trying to, you know, get over to where they need to be. And you're, you're absolutely right. When you walk into work, it's like, oh, this is your corporate self. This is your business self. This is your professional side. And now you're at home and again, to go back to my teenage daughter saying, you know, oh, sometimes, you know, our Zoom class is supposed to start at like 1030, but she doesn't get there till like 1115. And it's only a few, you know, minutes left where she has us in the waiting room the whole time. Or she's like, oh, girl, you know, I'm on this uh, Zoom thing. I got to call you. And it's just like, it's like, wow, you can't really fault them because they're human beings. Mm hmm. However, if it's something that is consistently happening, it's like, come on. Yeah, you know? listen, a lot of people have not adjusted well to this 
you know, setup of being at home and, and, and still having to fulfill their professional responsibilities or students having to fulfill their educational and academic responsibilities. And, you know, <laughs> I, you know, there's a lot of work that some people do in, in putting up certain boundaries uh, at work that don't exist at home. Mm -hmm. Also at home, your mommy, your daddy, your your uncle, your auntie, your maybe daughter or son, you might have elderly exactly. parents. You have you have those roles now that are happening at home that you don't bring with you to work under normal conditions. Yeah. But you know, if somebody's hungry while you're trying to teach and they're the type that doesn't like to wait, then you know, that's gonna interrupt your class. Yeah. Or if you've got, you know <laughs> You can't just wave them off like all right, I'm getting what you're saying. If mommy wants you to hurry up and wash these dishes she don't care what Zoom you're in. You know what I'm saying? Like, things like that. And, it, you know, a lot of funny stories have come out of that. And, you know, don't want to get too vulgar, but people have been caught in some compromising situations with cameras rolling. Um, but, again, you're in that, you're in that I'm at home mode while, while still needing to quickly transition to being at work or in school. Yeah. Uh, and people have been failing at that. <laughs> it's even on social media. The the lady who was butt naked and she had like the five year old or something yeah. that was in class. One of the kids on the Zoom was like sleeping and she was like trying to get him up and then the mom just butt naked walks across the yeah. screen to peek out the door <laughs> and her son is like sitting in the screen and she's like, Uh uh, who is that? Turn your camera off and then like the mother turns around horrified, tries right. to cover herself and runs off the screen, but it's just like you know, even with the, uh, they have a new thing they do with the Zoom. Some teachers, they do the um, challenges during the class, mm -hmm. you know. And it's just like, is this stuff conducive to the kids learning? I understand everybody's trying to be, like, lighthearted about it. And even so being said with that, if it was a thing where they were thrown into it, right, in March. Hey, everybody has to pack up their things. Get your, um you know, get your equipment or your supplies, your teaching stuff and your materials and you take this home and we'll be in contact and we're switching. You know, we have parents coming up to the school saying like, hey, I don't know how to work this. And it's just because they don't know how to connect to the Wi-Fi or they're not computer savvy. So the kids are trying to teach them or people jailbreaking devices and downloading what they want on the devices or kids breaking the devices intentionally so that they don't have to go to school. So you have like all these things that play into it, but from March to June, they knew that it was a challenge. When they saw that schools were not going to be reopened or they were only going to be reopened for a select few amount of students, I don't understand through the summer was any training like given to these teachers to now help them like, hey, you know, did they still just not have a plan because everybody was just banking on we're just going to go back to school in September. And then it just was like the same shit show all over again. Right. So um, having gone through that myself, um, I'll tell you right now, you know, there were very um, insufficient attempts at training uh, for teachers who were working for the summer. And that wasn't everyone. Um and, and listen, again, to be fair, we're all also going through a pandemic. We're also, um, if we think about this past year, you had uh, protests in the streets. Uh, yeah. Some people, you know. The summer was nuts. Yeah, had to worry about their safety in and around their home. 
while also trying to, you know, deal with this very unfamiliar space of how to teach or how to learn uh, from home. So, um, you know, I'm going to make a, a point after I say all of this uh, in in regards to New York City public schools and, and, and the leadership. But in terms of the preparation, um, yes, I think that a lot of people were hopeful that we would return back to normal as quickly as possible, um, hoping that the coronavirus was something that could be um, a thing of the past. Um, and, and that wasn't the reality. And, and, you know, the science community have been telling, you know, our elected officials and, and trying to tell the public that this was not something that, that was going to go away quickly because of the way that it was being handled, um, you know, at a federal level, at the state levels and, and all of that. Yeah. Um, now, I will say, and I've, I've said this many times, and, and a lot of people have echoed this and agree, uh, this pandemic has pretty much brought to light a lot of the things that don't work well within the DOE. Yeah. Uh, especially around organization. Um, and I, I really believe um, that that is somewhat intentional. I think it was built that way. It was built to, to be a failing system. Um, there are ways to profit from the failure of students. And that was well disguised yeah. for decades, way before any of the people who are in their positions uh, were born. Mm -hmm. And, you know, at the heart of it, the workforce for the DOE, I'm not going to now say that the people working in the DOE are not coming from the right place. A lot of the people that come into this profession do it because they want to see students be successful. And they want to be a part of that. Um, but when you have a system that was built to uh, fail, uh, and, and when I say that, I mean that the system was made um, at a time when the needs of citizens was very different than what it is now. Yeah. And it never changed, even so though the needs... Evolved. Exactly. Yeah. There's there's never been any evolution. And then people wonder why are we still talking about the same problems that existed in the 60s and the 70s and the 80s, especially as it relates to uh, people of color. Yes. Um, so, again, I don't want to go too far into that um, rabbit hole. Okay, but uh, not to cut you off, but I, I want you to explain to the listeners, right? When you say, you know, the system w was built to fail because they profit off of that. So basically, the schools that are in bad neighborhoods, and correct me if I'm wrong, if I'm going in a different direction, but these schools that are in these bad neighborhoods where the kids continuously fail, they are basically allowing the kids to fail because if they succeed and they go back into these, they, they then move out of the neighborhoods, right? They become successful. Maybe they get into better schools or better colleges, and then the cycle doesn't continue. It's not, you know, mm -hmm. it's not a, a rabbit hole. They, it, they can't um, oppress people who are, are doing good because out of maybe 28 students in a class, you might have one or two like high honor students that maybe could succeed in, in with that. Um, is that. Let me, let me tell you something, B. It's even simpler than that. It comes down to dollars. Yeah. 
there's more money that is granted to school districts and school systems that are not doing well than those that are high performing. That's interesting because people always have you feel like it's the opposite. That like the schools that are doing good and have the high numbers get the most funding while the schools that have the low numbers don't get any funding. So maybe they're misallocating the funding because I, I mean, <laughs> I, I've had an instance where I've seen a, a school, an elementary school, make copies of a book to give kids instead of giving them the books because supposedly they didn't have any money for the books that year. Uh, listen, I'm not in a position to know where the money goes. Yeah. But I know that there are already schools that have more resources than others. Mm -hmm. and, and a lot of that is um, based on uh, property taxes or parent involvement, yeah. alumni involvement, and, and things of that nature. Um, whereas some schools have none of that. Uh, but again, when the entire district has a certain percentage of failing students, there, there are federal and state monies that are awarded in support of getting those students to, to be on track. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I think even if you're not working in a school, if you're a parent, if you're a student or anyone that, I mean, we're all, school is, is such an integral part of society that we all kind of see, even if it's from the outside, we see what's going on, but we can see that there is something not evenly distributed or something that's not um, equitable in the way that uh, resources are shared or, or in even the way um, the knowledge of those resources are shared. Definitely. Um, and <laughs> somebody's getting that money. Mm -hmm. And someone is benefiting from it, but it's not uh, first and foremost students. Yeah. Um, so again, this um, pandemic kind of brought a lot of that to light. Um, you know, a lot of the things that people are seeing and, and complaining about have already existed. But now because you're seeing it at home, you're not, you know, parents are not usually sitting in a classroom with their student. Yeah. Um, but now, you know, they, they have an opportunity if they are working from home as well, they can listen in on some of these Zooms and they start to ask some questions like, OK, well, what is this teacher doing? How are they trained? And yeah. what what <laughs> what is my child actually learning? What is this? activity have to do with this skill and that's even if you're a savvy enough parent to know the difference a lot of parents um are very much involved in their own work and career or you know doing what they need to do and they trust that schools are doing right by their children uh i know that my parents very much were like hey we sent you to school to learn and and that's it yeah. and they feel like they've done their part and, and not to say that they haven't done their part but they just don't know what's usually going on inside of those walls so now with remote learning it's broken down those walls and now people are seeing the inner workings of everything is exposed exactly now. exactly yeah. and um you know we could start to keep dialing down to what the issue is we can talk about the fact that uh you know if a student's coming from elementary school to middle school they didn't get the foundation that they needed to be able to yeah. Uh, you know, keep up with middle school. And then uh, if they're going from middle school to high school, they didn't get the foundation. And it's very easy to keep yeah. pointing back down the, the chain of education. But then you're also talking about teachers and, oh, they don't get adequate training. And a lot of these teachers start off 
um, right out of college and don't have enough years of experience or the ones that have too much experience are too comfortable and they're not changing their ways. And they need to get pushed out. They need and to they retire. need to get pushed out. Exactly. So All of these a, things. It's just a circle. It's, it's a circle. And, and we've gotten back. very used to if you're, you know, working from within, you're, you're very used to pointing the finger in, in mm-hmm. a different direction as opposed to pointing it at ourselves. Um, and that happens at every level. Okay. Well, what I will say to go back to um, the the evolution, um, because you said that things are exposed now. So what I will say about that is I do understand what you're saying about the school system having not evolved. But I do think that there have been changes made. But I think that the changes, I think it's a lot of politics mm. within the school system. And people don't see it. You won't see it unless, like you said, you're an involved parent. You work within the school system or you work in a school. Or even if you volunteer at a, at a level, entry level, like PTA or something like that. If you are actively involved in seeing what's going on and paying attention, then you'll notice things. Um, some things that I've noticed because I have two children in the New York City public school system is that a lot of things that were in place when I was a student in schools are no longer in place for students. Mm -hmm. Um, When I was in elementary school, some people call it primary school, when I was in elementary school, I learned how to address an envelope. We had um, something called a pen pal. So we would write letters. So we learned how to um, write a letter with the greeting, dear such and such, uh, with the date or with your address. And, you know, to, to conclude that letter even putting a PS at the bottom. Those were things we learned how to address an envelope to send it to somebody. Um, we learned um, cursive writing. The the thing, the reason why I bring these things up is because my 16-year-old comes to me and she's like, oh, you know when you write things and you connect the letters? And I'm like, what? <laughs> so, I'm like, yeah, it's cursive writing. Penmanship. We had penmanship mm-hmm. classes. And, um, you know, we had the bubble map and the double bubble map and the tree map. These things for creative thinking, um, how to build on an idea, um, how to identify uh, main characters in a story, the plot, the climax. They have some of these things now, but they're not as basic as they were before. And with me saying that is meaning that some of the things they've taken out completely because I feel like they push the city and the state test. Like they mm-hmm. feel like we need those numbers to show that our kids are doing good in school. And because it's connected to money. Exactly. And they leave a lot of stuff out. And then you do have teachers, both new and old, who want to truly make a difference. As you said before, I don't think that the change that they are looking for is going to come with from within the school. I think it starts at the top within the DOE, within the policy writing, because it trickles down to the principles. The principles basically get to dictate what is taught in the school because they get a guideline from the board of ed that tells like what the standards are and the curriculum should be for second grade, for third grade, for fourth grade. And not only do they have to be, you know, uh, responsible for that, they are observed as well. So they can't just go and try to teach whatever they want on the side, because if at any given time you get an observation or you have a kid going home and saying, hey, this is what you did today. And it gets back to the principal. It's like, well, who told you to teach that? Like, who authorized this curriculum for your class? So now I feel like a lot of stuff isn't learned in elementary and because it isn't taught because they are unable to teach it. So some of it, you know, being pointing the finger back to the next person is somewhat true because if, if you didn't learn this, then it's like, well, who was your teacher? Who taught you this? Sometimes it happens within a school. Mm-hmm. Never mind going from one school to the next school, but going from one grade to the next grade, you know, it could still be 
the same case. And a lot of parents are now, because like you, like you said, again, they're home. So they might be either more hands-on or more aware of what's going on. But during a regular day, if they're at work and they're running around and they're dealing with their own things that they're distracted by, they are not tapping into what their kids are doing. So they're leaving it up to the teacher to teach them. Well, now the teacher is leaving it up to the parent to teach them. It's like now, before, my only problem was you come home with this stuff and you're having a problem doing your homework. I'm helping you with your homework. You're having a problem. And I'm like, didn't you do this in school? And sometimes the kids are like, no. Now, my stance on schoolwork has always been this. You introduce something, and I, and I only say these things because I was in school for childhood education. Like, that was my major mm-hmm. in college. I'm two semesters shy away of finishing, but I basically done all the, you know, teachings for that. So, the thing is, in school, right, you introduce an idea or topic to a student, a subject, right? Mm-hmm. And you go over it, you introduce it, and you say, okay, we're going to do some of that in class. Classwork right Mm -hmm. and then for homework you're going to continue what we were doing by doing pages 34 and 35 what it is now in cases that i've seen not with all teachers but some is that they are introducing the idea at home it's like oh we did this in class but for homework go home and try this how can they try this on their own if they if it hasn't been introduced to them Mm -hmm. you know so it's a lot of experimenting going on it's a lot of you know uh, some kids will get it and some kids don't also, in school, there are larger class sizes before COVID, and every child cannot get individual attention. Even now, mm-hmm. there is no one-on-one for kids. There is no kids that can stay back at lunch or ask. There are, there are some teachers that will say, you know, I have open Zoom hours from this time to this time, and if your kid needs extra help, but, I mean, can, how much can you really help a kid on, on the computer? Right. Um, so you mentioned a few things that I want to try to respond to. Um, and I'm going to make a few points. So if we look at the past five years, and this is going back to what I said about um, a system that's built to fail. Um, In the past five years, if you go to the absolute top of leadership at New York City uh, Department of Education, the chancellor, we've had three chancellors in the past five years. And what that looks like is before that person could even become familiar enough with that role to make sound decisions that will impact uh, students all the way down to the level of what you're describing, what your child is learning in their first grade class, by the time they they understand the system, they're gone. (laughs) Yeah. You know, maybe they're leaving, they're bailing. They're like, oh, I can't. It's I can't possible. Do with it's this. possible. I wish I could have the conversation with these people once they make that decision. But, um, you know, this is the largest um, school district in the country uh, with over a million students um, enrolled currently um, with many different issues and needs amongst those students. It's not that you can look at that. Uh, 1.1 million or however many it is and and say that there's one thing that we can do that will support all of these students or even if you were to break them down into categories you can't say okay there's this one thing that we can do that will help uh students um in special ed or one thing that we can do that will help students that don't know english or students who are coming from 
um, uh, low income household or students who are homeless. Like there's no one size fits all. Yeah. And, you know, with that, um, the system leaves it to individual schools to meet the needs of these students wherever they are. But at the same time, they tie the hands of of the educators. Um, and what I mean by that is you're held accountable for certain uh, milestones yeah. that don't always match with the needs of some of the students that I just mentioned. And you're going to have to try to figure out how to meet the needs that you're being asked for as a principal, as a teacher, as, as a student versus the very real reality of a kid who's coming to school uh, from a car, living in a car, yeah. or you know, someone who who was abandoned and is living in an apartment by themselves and don't know how they're going to feed themselves. Yeah. Um, you know, students with mental health issues, students who are experienced experiencing abuse, and then they come to school. Um, one, because by law they have to, but then also it's, it's also refuge. It's also a place where they get a meal. It's also a place where they get an adult that is supportive of them. Mm -hmm. Um, so you've got, um, people who are in this building who have these conflicting, oftentimes conflicting, um, goals that they're trying to meet and it it becomes a mess. And, and, you know, again, if you... You have constantly changing leadership. They can't even get a finger on the pulse to know where to guide this ship. Yeah. In, in a way, this is like a runaway ship where it doesn't matter who's at the wheel. It's going to head in the direction that it's heading. Um, so that's one point that I wanted to make. And you brought up you know, the things that they don't teach anymore. And a lot of what they teach is dictated by what... Um, what students are being tested on. And, you know, people say this thing about teaching to the test. And as much as educators like to think that they're not doing that at the end of the day, um, their evaluations are tied to student performance on these tests. And you don't want to shoot yourself in the foot. Yeah, it is important that a student knows how to write an address, but it's not as important as knowing when the battle of 1812 you know the treaty was signed to end that like you know what i'm saying and and that's yeah then it becomes a conflict of what's needed in the real world versus book knowledge to pass uh, an assessment you know because i mean how many jobs are going to ask you about the treaty (laughs) (laughs) no one's going to ask you about the war of 1812 unless you're probably working at a museum and even then i I doubt that's going to come up in a um in a interview yeah um, and, and now, even with that, I, I do want to transition to talking about what are the real world skills that that jobs are looking for, because yeah. at the end of the day, we want to make sure that we're educating students to be able to go out into the world and get a job and contribute to the workforce and to help to advance uh, technology and to advance science and to advance um, to be an asset. Exactly. Um, so. We're seeing now with this working from home and and being on a laptop or being on a Zoom and all of these, a lot of these things mirror what's already happening in the workforce um, in certain uh, industries and certain careers. So in a way, there is some aspect of this being a way of preparing students for the real world. Has there been training on the education side on a wide enough scale where teachers know that? Not at all. Um, And so you've got 
the issue of teachers with a very traditional uh, mindset of an education style that originated probably at the time of pilgrims <laughs> trying to continue to enforce certain practices yeah. um, that they were taught in. Uh, that their teacher was taught in and that the teacher that taught that teacher was taught in and, and, you know, keep going back, but perpetuating this traditional sense of education that doesn't match where we are in the world. Yeah, it's not And efficient. so if you think about the example of a teacher who is um, trying to teach something as if they were in a room with the student working off of a chalkboard and even chalkboards we have smart boards now i mean some some dry, dry a lot boards. of schools have that because it seems nice yeah i'll be honest but teachers are treating them like an electronic that's, that's the fun right? <laughs> an electronic chalkboard is just replacing what they already know and what they're familiar with and what you're seeing is while Everywhere else is advancing. Education is staying in one spot. And we're not doing a, a great job of preparing every student for the 21st century of what work would look like. And then they get out there and they are not fully prepared, all of them, especially, again, going back to the students who have all of these different issues that they have to worry about uh, in terms of disabilities, mental health, learning the language, um, finding something to eat at night, you know, all of these things that get in the way, even for adults. But now we're, we're trying to educate students in a traditional way for a world that doesn't look like what we consider to be traditional yeah. and not making the adjustments to help them, you know, be successful. And um, that's another thing that's being exposed by remote learning. Uh, the problem is it should not have been such a crazy transition for us to go from the classroom to working fully online. Uh, there should have already been some adjustments in the school building mm -hmm. that would have made that a seamless transition. But again, I've, I can go to some schools and I can guarantee you there, there's still teachers who are fighting for chalk because they have a chalkboard. <laughs> and yeah, they may have replaced it with a dry erase board. Now yeah. they're fighting for markers yeah. because they, and again, this idea that the only way to teach is by writing on this board and having students absorb information from the front of the room instead of absorbing it from a device in their hand, which matches a lot more what we do in real life. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we know that we can go in a different state or if we have uh, the access to Wi-Fi or data, uh, we could go to a different country, not know the language, not know a lay of the land, and reach in our pocket and get all the resources that we need. Yeah. Why doesn't education at this point on a larger scale, and I'll, I'll talk for New York City because that's what I know, why doesn't education look like that? Why doesn't the assignments and, and the tasks, and I'm not saying that that doesn't exist anywhere. Yeah. I'm just saying that it doesn't exist everywhere. And so, again, we're now transitioned to that. We're forced to transition to that because of a pandemic. If this pandemic had never happened, we'd still be talking about the same things. Mm -hmm. 
and parents would not be aware as much as they are now of some of the things that have been happening with their students in class. So do you think that moving forward, if there's a, because now they're bringing more kids back into school, um, especially after the break, I've even received a notice saying that one of my kids could now, they're doing blended learning where they go in two days a week. Now they can go in five days a week. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think now, because, you know, somehow it, it went from six feet to three feet, <laughs> we're not going to go there. Right. Um do you think that now, once they, because I, I, everybody's aiming for schools to be like fully reopened by September mm-hmm. with this type of, um, you know, direction that we're headed in, do you think that there will be some changes made? I, because I see it as once everybody's back in school, it's like, okay, let's get back to what we know. Right. And I don't see really the, the, the opportunity for the advancement that needs to be made to be made. So I'm going to say yes and no. I'm going to say yes, there are going to be some changes um, only because now people see that certain things work and that certain things do help certain students um, depending on what their their needs are. Um, And so I I do believe that there are conversations about continuing even beyond uh, all of this, continuing an option for students to work remotely from home um again because they see that some students are thriving in that setup um but there is i mean it's human nature people are going to want to bounce back to what feels comfortable yeah um and so yeah that's a legitimate um concern that once we are fully back in the building or you know once things quote unquote get back to normal that a lot of things will just bounce back to what they looked like uh, before March of last year. Um, the issue is that there needs to be policy changes that reflect a new reality. There needs to be assessments that reflect a new reality. Um, you can't hold teachers and students accountable for the exact same things and expect anything to change. Yeah. So my thing is that at one point, right, you said that some kids thrive more from the uh, remote learning, and that's understandably so, um, while others um, need to be in the class. I think it goes back to also when um, people kind of frowned upon kids that were being homeschooled. Some kids, you know, some parents chose to keep their kids home. It wasn't a really big thing. Mm-hmm. Like, it was a really you know, really small, in between small percentage of people who could actually afford to be at home. Yeah, that's definitely home. a privilege. Yeah, <laughs> to be at home and homeschool their kids or to pay someone to, you know, be a tutor or teacher for their kids so that they never had to enter in the uh, public school system. Um, in another context, there were a lot of people who always stated that kids should not be in front of the TV and the internet all day that it was like, you know, detrimental to their their brain cells. They were like becoming robots and zombies. They, they were going from the TV to the phone to the tablet and back. And now I think like it pushes the same thing because now they have, you know, six to eight hours of school on the computer or the tablet. And then they have to do their homework on the computer or the tablet. And then they still want to watch TV or FaceTime their friends or go on social media. So now more than ever, 
it might have went from three or four hours a day uh, after school on a weekday to now like fully probably 10 to 12 hours, Mm -hmm. if not more. So is that, you know, like, is that now, is it a good thing? Because a year ago, a a close year ago, it was really like something that was frowned upon. People that were really against, it was like all over the news, like, don't give your kids phones or mobile devices. You know, it was a, a whole thing where it was the people who raised their kids with technology versus the people who didn't. And they felt like their kids would do much better, put the phone down and read a book put the phone down and go outside and play. But now, how does that affect what's going on now? Is this still hurting the kids more than it's helping them? So without placing any sort of judgment on whether it's good or bad, I'm going to say that, you know, for adults to say that it's bad for students to be in front of a screen all day while that's what they do at work, um, again, feeds into that same conversation of, uh, what are we doing that happens in school or happens with younger people that helps to, in a real way, prepare them for what will be expected of them as adults? And especially uh, the, the millennial generation, a lot of them, uh, having been born with technology at yeah. their fing- fingertips, basically, um, are gravitating towards careers that do involve a lot of screen time, do involve a lot of um, interacting with technology and and electronics and and all of that, while a lot of the parents who are raising school-aged children um, are still very much um, familiar and comfortable with a time where everything was uh, on paper and you know, again, uh, there needs to be, I, I person, my personal belief is that there needs to be a balance Yeah. Uh, because paper is still here. Um, there's a lot of important information that still exists on paper. Um, and until that no longer exists, then paper is still relevant. And at the same time, again, I just described to you that, uh, a lot of the resources that on a day-to-day basis, many people use are, available on an electronic device that they use on a daily basis for many hours at a time, whether it be the laptop or a cell phone or a television screen and and, and all of that. So, you know, the advancement of technology is going to help to feed into this idea that we're going to be in front of a screen for a, a large part of our time consuming information, consuming, you know, entertainment, you know, all of that. Um, and again, like I said, there's still paper still exists, books still exist that have information that are not yet available electronically. So if you're, if you're encouraging young people to, um, do both, then you're actually also encouraging them to get access to a lot of information, a lot more information than, um, than if they were to just rely on one over the other. But now, you know, that all being said, um, do I believe that it's uh, a bad thing that students are spending so much time in front of the screen uh, without a, a conversation or without some sort of um, way of structuring balance? Yes. Um, and especially if we're putting the expectations on them 
uh, similar to what we're putting on, you know, employed people who are sitting in front of a screen um, without building them up to that. You can't, you know, in this case with remote learning, you kind of just threw them into the water and didn't build them up. You know, I believe that school should should be about building students up to the expectations that they would um, have as adults. Yeah. Um, if we're talking about work and, and we're talking about life skills. Um, and in some cases, yes, throwing them into the water is beneficial, but not in all cases. And I think everything should be scaffolded. I think that everything should be implemented in steps. Um, and that's, in a sense, what grades should be about, right? In first grade, you're learning something that will help you advance to second grade that builds upon what you learned in first grade. And you keep going up and up and up, building on what you learned before to help you achieve new things in the new grade yeah. until you graduate. And then the hope is that by graduation, you've built up enough skills to now be uh, a fully functioning um member of society who can step into uh, almost any job or maybe just a specific role, but you're helping to contribute. And so, you know, if that means that you're going to have to sit in front of a screen for eight hours or more at a time, that's, that's some people's reality, yeah. but don't just thrust that upon students without having that be something intentional to build towards that. That's that's what I believe. Okay, so basically the technology um, and being online is a necessary evil. Um, it is a necessary evil. And, and listen, a lot of these kids who are, are coming up today are coming up with solutions to problems that we faced for a long time using what they know, and that's technology. Yeah. So, you know, for us, again, you know, I'll, I'll say that you and I were raised in a generation that is very com comfortable functioning without a screen. Um, so we, we feel that that is the foundation that, that our children's education should be built on. Um, I still do believe that, but yes, the, a screen does belong somewhere in there, but again, make it make sense. Yeah. <laughs> Don't just push them in front of a screen and, and have that be what it is. Um, have it build up to something. And again, I still do believe um, not, it's not even about what I believe. It's absolutely true that there's still so much to be learned that's not available via a screen. And we need to teach our kids at, at the very least to know how to access that information. So how will the changes ever be made if, okay, because we just had another superintendent resign, right? Yes. So it's kind of like going back to square one. In a, in a sense, yes. I mean, we have someone who's these, um, the chancellor now that um, is uh, someone that was a student in New York City public schools and uh, became an educator and a school leader in New York City public schools. So there's, um, and then also advanced to the position of superintendent and, and all of that. Um, so she's familiar um, um and, and her name, if, if the listeners don't know, is Misha Ross Porter. Um, she's familiar with a lot of the inner workings already of this system. So th that the hope is that, you know, we'd benefit from that. Yeah. But her role could <laughs> um, change with the change of the mayor. Yeah. 
or, you know, again, thinking of the tenure of any of the former chancellors, we may have her for a good uh, two or three years. And then the question is, what would she be able to accomplish by the end of that time that would really move the needle in a way that matters? Yeah. Um, and again, if, if the system is built to take in leaders and spit them out or take them in and then they see what's going on and they want to run away or whatever is happening, I don't know. But if, if that's the way it's built, again, that's part of feeding into that idea that you'll never have someone in a position to steer this ship away from where it's heading. And, um, you know, as that relates to what we're saying about um, changes, you know, unfortunately, as leadership changes, the changes change, <laughs> the focus changes, yes, you know, the, everybody has a different motive, exactly a different agenda, mm -hmm. you know, they, they want to leave their mark. And they want to, you know, it's it's about legacy. They want to be known for having done this thing. Yeah, I so, started this policy. I started kids staying in school till five o'clock to do absolutely nothing. But right. We have longer school days now. And, and then the person behind them may come in and undo all of that. Yeah. Or completely leave that to shrivel up and die while they they nourish something else. So, you know, there there are so many cracks so many cracks in in this large um system and you know again the the pandemic brought a lot of those to light and the hope is that we will learn from a lot of these um cracks and seal them up so that we can do something significantly different than what we've been doing and this you know this has been a blessing in disguise because it, you know, even just being able to teach from home or learn from home is so revolutionary. Like it, it really, no one really thought that it could work. And in some senses it's not, but in some sense it yeah. is. And, and so at the very least, you know, something that I tell teachers in the classroom is don't be afraid to try something new and you'll be shocked at how well it will work, but you need to take that step to try something new. And you're afraid too, because whatever you do, I'm going to evaluate you on that. And so you think to yourself, well, I'm going to stick to what I know that gets me this that evaluation. Keeps me out of trouble. Yeah, right. Keeps me, keeps me you know, off the radar, if yeah. you will. Uh, a lot of teachers think that way. Not every teacher, but a lot of teachers just want to play it safe. Play it safe. And if you continue to play it safe, then nothing's going to change. Yeah. And that's just at the classroom level. So now that keeps going up. If you keep going up to the principal's level, you keep going up to the superintendent and above and above. Um, if no one has the courage to try something new, then we're going to continue to, again, have the same conversations that we've been having since the 60s, the 50s, the 40s, 30s. I wasn't around in the 60s I mean, or the 70s, but... My mama wasn't around <laughs> in the 30s and, and 40s. And, you know. I do understand what you're saying. Um, I know that, you know, a lot of people were saying that um, the, the thing was that the schools could still be open to serve food, which was, which was very necessary because mm -hmm. a lot of people, a lot, especially when this first happened and it, into the summer, a lot of people needed the food a lot of people didn't have a way to feed their families 
or their kids were so used to having breakfast and lunch in school that it was necessary and they felt like, you know, well, if they could be open for food, why can't they be open for school? Mm-hmm. And um, I guess moving forward, you know, we'll see if there's going to become a thing where I don't know if they will force everyone back into school or if they will allow people to still be remote. Because if they say like, hey, your kid could only be marked present by being present physically in school, how does that de- then, you know, affect those that don't want their kids in school, even in terms of where the vaccination comes in? Because mm-hmm. in all honesty, a lot of people or um, a person that I know of in particular that doesn't have their kid um, in the school system and they were homeschooled, I don't know them directly, but through a person, um, they were like against vaccinations. And they said, you know, if you don't take your kid and put them in a New York City public school, they cannot require them to have those vaccinations. So I feel like this is something that will also mandate the vaccine for school. Like if that becomes a a necessary thing, I think that that's going to be another big struggle because there are going to be parents that don't want to send their kids to school because they don't want them vaccinated. And then they're going to tell them, you know, well, they they have to be in school and they have to be vaccinated. So that becomes um, another hurdle that everyone needs to get over. So do you see that as an obstacle? So, you know, the decision around anything that relates to um, health, on, on a public scale, you know, a lot of those decisions are trickling down from the federal and state level and the CDC and, and, and all of that. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to say that that is something that is yet to be seen. I, I don't know what sort of decision making exists at that level and, and, and what uh, direction that's going to take. Uh, but we're going to adjust to whatever you know, is, is told to us to, to do. Um, but a lot of the, um, the conversation about the remote learning versus in person, I believe that's going to continue beyond this public health and safety concern. I, I think that, um, again, now that we've tried it and we see that there are some parts of it that we do well and some parts that we don't. Um, like I said, I, I, I'm, I'm aware that there are some considerations of extending this as an option beyond um, all of this. So um, it's, you know, at some point, it's not going to be a conversation about vaccination. It's not going to be a conversation about, you know, viruses spreading and, and all of that. It's going to be a conversation about what does this student need in order to be successful? What does this student, how can we deliver education to this student in order to get them to meet the marks that we set at the, at the end of this path? And that's, you know, ultimately high school graduation. And, um, you know, that, that has yet to be seen how, how much we'll take what we're learning in, in this particular time to apply to the future. My hope is that, there will be many changes. I know for a fact that things will not be the same, <laughs> whether people want it to be or not. You know, yeah. things will not be the same whenever we re- return. Like there will be a new normal. Um, we're never going to see things the way exactly the way that they were um, back 
in 2019 and early 2020. I think um, remote learning is effective. I just think it needs to be tweaked. I think it it, can it, be it needs effective. to be tweaked. People need to be trained in it. Yeah. People need to um, figure out a way to evaluate the work that's being done in that context. And none of that has been done. Yeah. Um, you know, just as much as we are seeing at home that, oh, this is a mess on many levels above um, my pay grade, I'll say, they are also just kind of like, oh, wow, this is a mess. Yeah. Uh, because this is uncharted waters. No exactly. one knows what to do. No one has um, come up with a way because this is so new. So the hope is that we're going to take this experience and we're going to create something new. And it's going to be finally that thing that directs us away from traditional pilgrim times education that doesn't match the real world now. Yeah. Okay. I think that the last thing that I wanted to touch on um, with this is just the, um, I just want to bring awareness to the emotional um, strain or stress that this can put on a child. Um, some parents, don't understand why it is important and I'm not you know um in any way trying to convince anyone to send their kids back to school uh just the importance if your child is at home and they are failing it could be a multitude of things they may not have a um space that is um conducive to learning there may be overcrowding in the apartment or they may or they may be you know uh one device that they're sharing or maybe um some kids are still waiting for devices from the schools um they don't have the support at home there are many distractions at home and you know you have those same parents saying you know uh the kid doesn't want to go back kids have suffered from depression by not being mm -hmm. able to socialize and some people don't understand why it's necessary. Oh, you're supposed to be in school learning. You're not supposed to be socializing, but just to be around other people and see other people um, as kids, it does make a difference because to some kids, their friends and their peers' um, opinions and ideas uh, mean more to them than those of their parents and their family. So I just wanted to touch on you know, the, the ill effects um, emotionally mm -hmm. and mentally that you know, that kids can undergo during this time. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, some of the unfortunate things that we're seeing, we are seeing an uptick in uh, students committing suicide or harming themselves or um, suicidal ideation um, during this past year. And that, in a sense, matches what's happening to adults at the same time. This has been a, a rough time for everyone. Yeah. Um, to think of how to meet the needs of our students and not think of their mental health needs um, definitely does a disservice to them. Um, I think that uh, currently there are a lot of efforts that are focused on uh, mental health restoration for uh, students um, in the school system. And I, I know that the mayor's wife... Um, Shirley McLean, she that's been her um, push to to have that be something that is emphasized, and even that is is fairly new in in some of the um, the 
roles that they've created and the the people that they've hired to focus on providing support for students around uh, emotional and and mental support. Um, and again, um, there there needs to be just more training. I know that um, they have implemented a lot of training um, initiatives um, in the city to help educators um, become more aware of, let's say, you know, for example, teaching students who have experienced trauma, which in public schools is a, a great number of students. Yeah. Um, and also considering uh, biases and, you know, thinking of racial and, and you know, sexual orientation and, and all of these things that contribute to what happens in an English class or what happens in a science lab and what happens, you know, in the gymnasium. And, you know, all of these things um, play a part. Uh, nothing is separate. Uh, so if we're going to talk about revolutionizing and changing the trajectory of how we're teaching students, we have to also talk about what we're doing to change the way that we support students in, yes. in that aspect. So, yes, the reality is that many students are home and they're suffering. Um, again, bringing up students who may not know where their next meal comes in or may not uh, get the nurturing um, that you know, they, they need at yeah. home and they get that in school. So, you know, schools, you know, to give them credit, I know in a way it sounds like I've been bashing schools, you know, <laughs> throughout this, um, this podcast, but you know, the one thing that we can say is that schools are a staple of every community. Yes. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's almost a central hub where you know that you can get, uh, for example, something to eat, or you can find an adult that, supports you you can find lights <laughs> you can find electricity you yes. can you know all of these things that are not guaranteed at home um and so school will always play uh, a very important role in the lives of young people in the lives of adults because of what it can provide um that in a in a sense is guaranteed that uh, elsewhere is something that that people hope they can um, get and provide. Um, but yeah, definitely, um, you know, again, I, I will say that the efforts to address the mental health uh, issues that are happening for students is there. Um, is it perfect? Not yet, but but there is an effort to get there. Um, it's harder to to reach students when they're at home. Um, and, and so that is something that is being lost in students remaining at home. Um, I think the remote learning process has greatly benefited those students who have a strong support system yeah. at home or have, um, I'm going to call it the privilege of not having to worry about, uh, their next meal or worry about the light staying on or worry about heat, worry about basic human needs. Yeah. Um, but for those students who don't have that security, um, being inside of the physical building is what has helped them succeed. And, and having that be lost um, through no fault of, of anyone. Again, the, the priority is public safety. But you brought up the 
the um, practice of keeping schools open to give out meals. I'm glad that they decided to do that. It, it did take a little while for them to even understand that that was a need. Yeah. And I think that, um, again, if we point to sort of the accidental benefits of being in the middle of a pandemic is that we begin to now think of students' needs in a very different light. Yes. Um, so my hope is that they will take, again, the lessons that we're learning from this, the hard lessons that we're learning from this, and that they will continue to implement some changes, uh, for the way that we do things moving forward. We cannot go back to business as usual after this because we're going to lose, uh, some students, not just in terms of their engagement, but, uh, at the extreme end of it, uh, their lives. Yeah. Um, the last thing I want to say, and then we're going to go is, um, throughout all of this, I've always tried to, um, make it my business to be an active parent when it came to my kids, um, active in every way, both at home and in their school lives and their extracurriculars, getting to know who their friends are, following them on social media. Well, I have the password too. Bless you. You know, following their social media and not responding to everything because sometimes when you respond too soon or make an issue out of everything, they will shut you out or make a secret page or start Mm -hmm. to hide things from you. So some things you have to take with a grain of salt or you have to find the right way, you know, to to address something. Sometimes it's not what you say, it's how you say it. Um, I know that through this, I've actually found that it is better for me to be an active parent during remote learning because everything is online so I don't have to continuously call and not be able to get someone because they're not in their office or they're not in the classroom um I don't have to go up to the school um and take off of work I can go on pupil path I can um, check someone's Zoom hours and I can go on their Zoom on my lunch break. I can send a message and wait for them to respond to my message. And if I can't get to that person, I can go, you know, as far up as I need to and not have to, you know, um, inconvenience myself. So in that instance, it has been good. There have been people that have helped. There have been people that I've had to email over six times before I got a response back. And and that was after I reached out to an AP or somebody in administration. I just think it's very important for parents during this time and moving forward to be active and present in their child's education Um, because it is necessary. I think that kids do better when they know that their parents care, when they know that their parents are aware, when they know that their parents pay attention. Um, The kids that often say, oh, you can call my mother or father. They don't care. They're not going to do nothing. <laughs> they're not going to come up here. All they're going to do is get mad at you. All right, get cursed out. You know, I think it, it puts up a barrier um, in the relationship of the parent and the teacher and in a relationship of the teacher and the student. Um, there are, like you said, a lot of things that, I guess, uh, advancements that have to be made, changes that have to be made. And I hope that they get to a point where they, you know, realize that anything that benefits the student benefits the school you know it's Mm -hmm. a a boomerang effect and it'll come back um in good faith um and i don't know if you have anything else um you know coming from the school side of things um i definitely say that there's a bias when it comes to uninvolved parents um and the the stigma or the idea is that if a parent is not involved that they don't care um 
if a parent is involved, <laughs> that's when the teacher and the administrator and all of these people become even more involved because the parent is holding them accountable. Yeah. Just like you said, you have to send all these emails to people in order to get a response, but you're going to get a response and that student is going to receive more attention because they know that you're involved. Yeah. Um, the the mindset is is in a way backwards because instead of interpreting when a, a parent does not reach out um, and 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 interpreting that to mean that that student does not have that support at home, so let's give them more exactly. attention and more support. Uh, the reverse happens, um, and I mean, listen, I, I work in a high school, so I I'm, I'm familiar with parents being less involved because your your child is at an age where you figure they can kind of figure things out on their own and you want to teach them how to become an adult and support themselves and be independent and all of that. So a lot of parents take a step back. Uh, but for the younger grades, um, again, you you it, it is more typical that the parent is involved, but in the cases where the parent is not involved, um, you know, unfortunately, some educators have the mindset like, oh, well, this parent doesn't care. Um, and then they allow, in, in many cases, especially when it comes to students of color, who are the majority of uh, students in public school, uh, they allow them to fall to the wayside and they don't really put in that effort because they, you know, they can get away with it. And it's, it's not even done, I think, a lot of times on a conscious level, but you address the, the brightest fire. You know, and if there's a parent that's in your face and they want answers, you're going to give them answers. And if there's someone who's in the corner and you're not hearing from their parent and they're not really causing much waves, then they're, you know, you're not going to tend to them um, as as much. Um, So so all of that being said, you know, I commend you for being involved because absolutely that that helps to get your children what they need academically. and and then also it you know every parent should be aware of what's happening um you know what happens in in many um cultures they put a lot of trust on the teacher and in the school that things will get done and that their child will receive what they need and then they are hands off because they have left their child in good hands they yeah. believe um which again is not always the case. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, if if any parent is out there that thinks that stepping back is is a better thing for their child, I I I don't necessarily agree with that. And and especially as your child gets older, that's not the time to start taking steps exactly. backward. You have to become even more involved. Yeah. Um, Cause that's when they just be like, "Oh, I got this." <laughs> it's it's not even about just "Oh, I got this," but a lot of what they do has larger implications and consequences. Exactly. And and that should not be the time where they get less support from the teachers, from the parents, and all of that. Um, and and again, with remote learning, we're seeing the involvement of parents on a very different level. A lot of them are not comfortable with the the amount of participation that um, they now are forced to to have. But at the same time, um, if they are able to give that attention, it does often benefit the the child. 
Okay. Well, thank you. I want to thank you for stopping by. And um, you're I very welcome. It. I'm I'm glad that I was able to do this. It's my first um, podcast. Okay. Um, and until next time, love, live life, peace.